0: Julia Gerlach, Managing Editor of No-Till Farmer. Welcome to the latest episode of the 2019 No-Till Farmer podcast series. Today's program, The Biology of Regenerative Soils, is brought to you by Yetter Manufacturing. I encourage you to subscribe to this series, which is available on iTunes, the Google Play Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to receive an alert about new episodes when they're released. I'd like to take a moment to thank Yetter Manufacturing for sponsoring today's episode. With the tradition of providing farmers solutions since 1930, Yetter Manufacturing Company is your answer for tools and equipment to face today's production agriculture demands. From many different designs of planter attachments for the different planting conditions you face to several options of equipment for placing fertilizer and products to meet harvest time challenges, Yetter delivers the return on investment and tools to meet your equipment needs and maximize inputs. Find solutions to your challenges today at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O dot Dr. Chris Nichols is an award-winning soil microbiologist with more than 25 years of research experience studying arbuscular mycorrhizal fungi. She's a leader in the regenerative soils movement, as well as the founder and principal scientist of Chris Systems Education and Consultation. Chris builds upon the soil health foundation to identify biological methods for agricultural production and tools and practices to reduce pest issues, soil erosion, and greenhouse gas emissions. In today's podcast, we're sharing a recent talk Chris gave at the Clemson Soil Health Conference, where she delved into the biology of soil and how producers can maximize their soil biological systems. She talks about the relationship between carbon, photosynthesis, and organic matter, discusses how animal integration stimulates soil systems, and more. Here's Chris Nichols.
1: So I'm going to talk about the biology of the soils. I'm a soil microbiologist. We're going to kind of take a little bit of a fast journey through the soil and through the microbial world. But it also is a journey in which I think that one of the big things in looking at how these organisms function is all biology follows some very standard rules. And so as we look at what's happening and the functionality of things, one of the things that I'm going to talk about is treating the soil like a living organism. Treating the soil like you would want to be treated as a living organism. So as we look at that, kind of trying to figure out what it is that's going to be happening in the system. And one of the things that I want to discuss within Soil Health, one of the things that we're trying to do is really address this why? Why is it important to focus on soil health? And it is building up resilience. My dad's a farmer in southwestern Minnesota. He's owned the farm my whole entire life. I've worked with farmers in the Dakotas, in Minnesota, in Pennsylvania, in uh, Ohio. Yeah, I do a lot of work in Canada now. I've been uh, over to China, and when farmers ask, does this work here? The response is, is do you have soil? Because these principles are universal. What soil is universal, it is what what we're looking for. And if we can enhance soil in our system, we're gonna build resilience. As I said, my dad's a farmer, and one of the things he taught me as a farmer is that the climate is uncertain. Weather isn't your friend, necessarily. And as we're going forward, that uncertainty has become even more uncertain. And so we need to figure out how to have the resilience against all of these changes in weather patterns. We need to have resistance against not just our current pest and disease issues, but our future pest and disease issues. As the climate changes, we are going to see new pest and disease issues. We need to look at providing food in this country. We are a first world country who right now suffers from obesity and malnutrition at the same time in the same people. I represent them. I know that I do. We are also a country that not just this year, but for the last four years running, we are a country, a first world country in which our life expectancy is going down rather than up. It should not be acceptable. No matter who you are, if you have children or grandchildren or don't, this is not acceptable. We are a country that has some of the best land on the planet, and what we are predominantly choosing to grow on some of the best land on the planet is not food. We grow low-quality feed and industrial products. That is what you're growing (coughs) predominantly is low quality feed and industrial products. Some of the best land on the planet as well is going away from us very rapidly. How can we have resilience and resistance and improve the quality of what it is that we're trying to produce, have a higher quality product to market if we are losing our soil? We, today, This year, we'll lose nearly two billion metric tons of topsoil. This is not acceptable because not only is it not acceptable to not be providing high quality food, not only is it not acceptable that our life expectancy is going down, but you can't make a living. It's not profitable. We need to look at how to look at these systems differently. I believe that there is one problem in agriculture. Everything else is an issue. It's too hot, it's too cold, it's too wet, it's too dry, my soil is too sandy, my soil is too heavy. I don't care because if you're not focusing on the problem you're going to put band-aids on issues and you're never going to be profitable. You're never going to be able to produce high-quality food. And I'm sorry. I apologize to those who invited me today because I'm probably gonna offend a lot of people. One of the things that I like to say is at least I'm an equal opportunity offender. (laughs) So hopefully I'll touch on offending each and every one of you. But again, it's because we don't have time to mess around anymore. We're running out of money and time because we're running out of soil. So the one problem in agriculture is that we don't have soil. We're losing soil. Soil is carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen bound to a mineral matrix. We have a mineral matrix. That's what we're leaving behind as we lose soil. But soil requires the influx of carbon. Photosynthesis is what we need to focus on. Because your problem is a loss of soil. What we've done in our agroecosystems is our agroecosystems have been hemorrhaging soil for decades. And when you have that hemorrhaging of soil, it's essentially the same way as if you had a patient that was hemorrhaging blood. And what we do is we focus on bandings. We're gonna stop bleeding, and that's good. Tillage, reducing tillage, is like stopping the bleeding. It's putting a band We're gonna stop the loss. The Soil Conservation Service, which was the previous name for NRCS, the Natural Resources Conservation Service, that's what they focused on, was erosion. We're gonna stop the bleeding. But just like a patient that is hemorrhaging blood, if we don't give a transfusion to our agroecosystems, they are going to fail anyway and they're going to fail because the transfusion that is needed is a transfusion of carbon, is photosynthetic activity. Almost every living organism on planet Earth is carbon-based. Every cell, every molecule, every protein, every enzyme has a carbon backbone, and the energy to form all of that comes from the chemistry of carbon, the breaking of carbon bonds between carbon atoms and other carbon atoms, or carbon atoms and other atoms. It's the energy that came, it's that most efficient conversion of solar energy to chemical energy. That happens via photosynthesis. And then it also provides the building blocks for all life. The exception for carbon-based organisms is diatoms, which are silica-based organisms, but they still conduct carbon-based biochemistry. Their ability to work, their physical structure is silica-based, but their biochemistry is carbon-based. We cannot have any life on this planet because it all directly or indirectly comes from photosynthetic activity. So again, your problem in agriculture is a lack of soil because you have a lack of carbon. Here's the deal. As a soil scientist, I was taught soil science dogma. Dogma like dogma in any type of organization is this is fact and nobody disputes it this is just the way that it is but the reality is is this is not the way that it is so part of soil science dogma is the fact that this is what our soil looks like it's mostly mineral you have a small amount that's organic matter of that organic matter most of that is this stable humus fraction that takes hundreds of years to thousands of years to form because it's highly decomposed carbon. And you have labile organic matter that mostly gets converted back up to CO2. And you have a microbial division. Most of the microbial biomass is in the fungal form. As far as number of species, most of the species in the soil are bacteria. This is the way we've always looked at soil science. It's the way we look at it. This is not true. It is true from a certain point of view. It is true from the current paradigm that we put things in. But if we were to look at the biology differently and think about what's happening differently, things would look very different. This is what it is that we're actually doing in our soil environment as we get more biological activity we're gonna increase the amount of microbial activity that you have. When we increase the amount of microbial activity, that labile carbon, that labile fraction, the carbohydrates and proteins that go into the system on an annual basis, they don't have to become highly decomposed to be stabilized and become part of the recalcitrant fraction. So one of the things in soil science dogma that soil science teaches, all soil scientists, is that it takes a thousand years to grow an inch of topsoil. And that it is impossible for you to change organic matter percentages on your farm or ranch in your lifetime. Anything that you see, anything that you observe that does not follow that dogma is an artifact. You're not really seeing anything that's real. This is not true, and we're learning as scientists that this is not true. I agree that it takes a thousand years to form an inch of topsoil. If you are talking about breaking down the parent material in the C horizon, having that migrate up through the B horizon, going into the A horizon and combining with organic matter and growing to an inch, I will not dispute that. But that is not the only way in which we are growing topsoil. That is not the way in which we are regenerating the system. Because we are growing from the top down, not the bottom up. This is not about soil genesis. This is about soil generation. Two very different things and how it is
0: that we can look at. We'll get back to Chris Nichols in a moment, but I want to take time once again to thank our sponsor, Yetter Manufacturing, for supporting today's episode. From many different designs of planter attachments for the different planting conditions you face, to several options of equipment for placing fertilizer and products to meet harvest time challenges, Yetter delivers the return on investment and tools to meet your equipment needs and maximize inputs. Find solutions to your challenges today at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O dot com. Now let's get back to Chris as she talks about the importance of getting carbon into the soil.
1: When we talk about soil that way and look at soil differently, it also gives us the opportunity to see that there's a fraction of organic matter that is stabilized chemically biologically and physically by the activities of the microbial fraction. And basically what it's saying is that the way that we looked at soil organic matter, the way that we looked at carbon, that recalcitrant fraction, that humic fraction, is incorrect. That it is not mostly highly decomposed organic matter. It is actually proteins and carbohydrates that are stabilized. The point is, with this, is what you do on your farm or ranch is work with the system to have that continuous influx of proteins and carbohydrates that are coming out of the roots all season long. And your season here in South Carolina is 365 days. As the sun shines here 365 days, your problem is carbon. You need to get more photosynthesis. If you don't take advantage of 365 days of sunlight, you are not being productive and you're not optimizing the efficiency of the system. A couple of days ago I was up in Alberta and I told them their growing season was 260 days. They didn't chase me out with a dime. They were a little concerned about what I was saying because, you know, in Alberta their, their crop rotation is snow, wheat, canola. <laughs> Whatever, however you want to see it. But the reality again is if the sun is shining we need to optimize that and i said that if your growing season minimum is 260 days in alberta you're taking 105 days off you're starving the soil for 105 days you should be ashamed of yourself if you're in south carolina and you start the soil any day you should be ashamed of yourself if you have a problem and you want to solve the problem you're going to maximize the amount of resources that you put into addressing that problem. But we do not do that in our agricultural systems. We do not because we tell ourselves that this is the box I exist in. This is my limitation. I can't do any better than this. Who put you in the box? You're farmers and ranchers. You're the most independent, stubborn people I've ever met. <laughs> and the reason why this is so elemental and so important is that mycorrhizal fungi, what the name literally means, myco is the Greek word for fungus, rhiz is the Greek word for root. These are literally fungi, root, fungi. What they do is they grow inside of the roots and they act like a pipeline connecting the soil environment to the plant. And they will deliver nutrients and water through that pipeline efficiently inside the roots of the plant. They've been around with plants for more than 500 million years. If you stick around for 500 million years, you're doing a good job. You're playing a role. And what they did was they actually helped form soil. In addition, they helped the plants resist pest and disease issues, especially root-borne pests because they will, as they go into the roots, they will stimulate the defense responses on the part of the plant, which means that if they get in there first, it's harder for root-borne pathogens, like Usarium and Rhizoctonia, to be able to get into the roots. So what we can do is really tap into this energy. Where I think we need to go with our system is we don't need a new green revolution, we need a brown revolution. We need a soil revolution. We need to focus on what's happening. Sunlight, air, plants, water, soil, birds, microorganisms, all of this life functioning together. Creating a system in which we are going to intensify what's happening. So again, I was recently in Alberta, I've done a lot of work in the plains, both in the U.S. and Canada. And our plains systems evolved over tens of thousands of years. Our Great Plains, our High Plains, our Grasslands. We need to do that same type of evolution and creation of soil. The organic matter percentage in the plains should be in the teens. The further north you go, it should be in the high key. The organic matter in the southeast should be close to 10. It is not acceptable where we are at. To get ourselves there, we don't have tens of thousands of years for evolutionary processes. We can't allow for the forest in the southeast to be able to regrow and reinvigorate and regenerate the organic matter in the soil. We don't have the time and we don't have the money. We can grow anything anywhere. We can colonize the moon and we can colonize Mars. The issue is not that we don't have the technology, our issue with colonizing Mars and the moon is there is no soil. So everything has to be done with inputs that we have to write a check for. So what we need to do instead, because again, we don't have tens of thousands of years. We have decades. So we need to look at how we can intensify the system. Living organisms are pre-programmed genetically to be lazy. What we call it as scientists is conservation of resources. not going to say I'm lazy. I'm conserving resources, sweetie. <laughs> I'm not going to get up and do that. I'm conserving resources. Natural ecosystems function at a low-moderate level. They do not function at peak efficiency. When a disturbance comes along, when an event comes along that disrupts them, they will increase their activity. They will increase efficiency. But then they go back to functioning at a low, moderate rate, because they're conserving resources. What we have the ability to do in our agroecosystems is to keep them functioning at that higher rate, to keep things moving, to intensify what's occurred, so that everything is going to flow at a much faster level, at a much faster rate. And we're going to do that by getting different types of enterprises in the system. We're going to do that by reducing the cost, by redistributing the risks across the number of organisms that we have there. The number of organisms that you have in a handful of healthy soil, you can have upwards of 10 billion organisms in a handful of healthy soil. If you've got a labor issue, if you're worried about intensifying your system because you don't have the time, tap into 10 million laborers. They don't go on strike. They don't take bathroom breaks. They don't go to sleep. If you feed them, they will come. That's it. The other way of looking at this is looking at this where we're gonna treat our soil like we're supposed to treat ourselves. We're gonna start off at the bottom, living roots.
0: Thanks for tuning into the No-Till Farmer podcast. If you've been enjoying all the advice and ideas shared by the no-till authorities featured in this series, then join us in January for our annual National No-Tillage Conference. Every year, we bring together top-notch no-tillers, agronomists, researchers, and other no-till experts to deliver innovative ideas that can help you get the most out of your no-till farming system. Share ideas and get solutions to your toughest no-till challenges during thought-provoking general sessions, expert-led no-till classrooms, Farm and Farmer roundtable discussions and exclusive workshops. The National No-Till Conference is 100% money-back guaranteed to bring all of the resources, information, and networking opportunities you need to help your no-till operation reach new heights. Now let's get back to Chris Nichols. One of the things that
1: I want to emphasize with Living Roots is that we don't want to have a point of view where we look at growing degree days anymore, we're looking at greenness and vegetative growth. Keeping the plants growing for as long as possible. Keeping it green and growing. And here's the deal when it comes to temperature. When it comes to temperature, one of the things that we've done is we've told ourselves that it's too cold or it's too hot for plants to grow. At certain times. Because that's how we feel. We have a nervous system. We have nerves at our skin's surface that react to temperature. Does a plant have a nervous system? Does a plant react to temperature in the same way that we do? No. The issue that plants have with temperature is that yes, they've evolved over time to be adapted to certain climates and we choose the wrong ones. Corn is an annualized tropical grass. Tropical. (coughs) Do you think it's gonna grow well 260 days or 320, which is Gale's growing season? Do you think it's gonna grow well for that long in that environment. No! Why would it? It doesn't wanna. It's tropical. We choose the wrong things. And when we choose the wrong things, we're not gonna be maximizing sunlight. So what we wanna do is we wanna bank more carbon in our soils. And again, we do this by having a plant that's growing. If we don't have a lot of diversity in the plant that we're growing, that's not gonna help us to bank carbon in our soils. When I first moved to the Dakotas, we were growing a lot of small grains, especially wheat. Wheat is a great thing, it can help you to change, incorporating small grains can help you to change the way in which you're managing the system and provide you with a lot of options. But if all you do is focus on growing wheat, The issue with the weed plant, and this is why looking at how plants grow and what they're doing in delivering carbon, is we want to bank carbon. The plant is going to put carbon below ground when the plant is in the vegetative growth phase. If you look at small grains, they are going to put carbon below ground for about five to six weeks. And that's it. When they get into the reproductive phase, carbon allocation goes above ground. Takes a lot of energy to reproduce. Gotta have a lot of resources. So you're not gonna be giving it off as exudates. If your problem is is that you wanna grow soil and you need to have carbon to be able to grow soil and you've only put carbon in the soil for six weeks out of 52, are you really gonna grow soil? Whether you do tillage or not, add diversity and change. length of period in which you have plants that are going to be growing, yes, we can make more carbon. What we really want to do is we want to manage the system, especially to manage water. We need to again maximize our sunlight harvest. You are growing soil. This is your money. Plants and animals are tools to grow soil. Your cash money, your profitability is based on soil it's your one problem we're going to add diversity if you want to maximize living roots you're going to automatically maximize diversity you're going to get things growing in a system that are going to be diverse Again, treat the soil like you want to treat yourself i want to do one more thing really quick i want to talk about animals animal integration Animal integration into the system is a very important principle. It's a very important principle, but it doesn't mean that you have to, everyone has to have a large ruminant animal. Animal integration into the system is about the stress that's added to the plant through the action of an animal impacting the leaf tissue. That's what it is that we're looking for, because it's carbon flow. If you get injured, Carbon is going to flow out of your roots, if your plant gets injured, carbon will flow out of your roots so that you can get the resources from the soil to rebuild the structure that got injured. What we have with animal integration is the ability to control the way that the plant is going to be injured. And this happens, again, with large women animals, it can happen with insects, it can happen with birds and bats, it can happen with animals that are walking through the system, as well as animals that are grazing in the system. Everything is going to be stressing the plant. But as we want to intensify and get carbon flowing faster, if we look at grazing animals, this provides us with an option to do this because what happens when an animal, especially a cow, ends up grazing, what they do is the cow does not use its teeth when it's grazing. It will wrap the tongue around the forage and shake its head and pull and tug. What ends up happening is that when that happens, part of the root system in that tugging, even if the roots aren't pulled out, that tugging will rip off root hairs causes damage. The root hairs provide food for the microbial population. Exudates are going to come flowing out of the the holes that are created by the root hairs getting ripped off, and you're going to get more carbon going below ground. This is going to stimulate more biological activity. Now, in addition to this, the way that the cattle graze, because they wrap their tongues around the forage and they pull and tug, in addition to how it impacts the roots, it also impacts the plant leaf tissue. It tears at the leaf tissue. It doesn't slice. So when we hay, we cannot mimic this operation. We can't mimic what happens to the roots, but we also can't mimic the wound pattern. If we want to maximize the amount of carbon that we're going to get flowing through the soil, having an animal that's going to be able to maximize that wound pattern is going to be the most efficient way in which we can address this. And so we wanna look, again, at how we can incorporate all of this together. But the last two principles, one was about armor protection, protection of the soil, having that soil armor cover that you can have with residue, as well as you can have that armor with a living plant. And as we saw with the temperature differences, having that armor with a living plant can do a lot better job of shading and can help to protect it now the other thing is is reducing tillage when i said that there's one problem in agriculture and it's a carbon problem tillage will stop the bleeding if you go into a no-till system but an iron tool tillage does not put carbon below ground tillage does not do photosynthesis Any carbon that's incorporated by tillage has a faster decomposition rate. So again, going to a no-till system is part of the components of where we want to go with the principles of soil health. But the biggest bang for your buck is going to be adding organisms that are going to do photosynthesis. Keeping your system growing with living plants, getting that action.
0: Thanks to Chris Nichols and the Clemson Soil Health Conference for allowing us to share this talk. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider joining us for the annual National No-Tillage Conference in January. Visit notillfarmer.com forward slash NNTC to register. To listen to more podcasts about no-till topics and strategies, please visit notillfarmer.com forward slash podcasts. Once again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Yetter Manufacturing, for helping to make this No-Till podcast series possible. If you have any feedback on today's episode, please feel free to email me at jakeurlock at lessitermedia.com or call me at 262-777-2404. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or the Google Play Store to get an alert as soon as future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest no-till farming news by registering online for our No-Till Insider daily and weekly email updates and Dryland No-Tiller e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at No-Till Farmer with Farmer spelled F-A-R-M-R and our No-Till Farmer Facebook page. For our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Managing Editor Julia Gerlock. Thank you for listening.